Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today, we are joined by Bobby Schaefer, owner and head chef of Lost Larson. Lost Larson is a recently opened bakery and cafe located in Andersonville that aims to honor the craft of baking by providing a wide assortment of fresh treats, including breads, open-faced sandwiches, croissants, scones, and more. If you are in need of a savory bite or a sweet snack, head over to Lost Larson at 5318 North Clark. Hello, Bobby. And we have Bree Schaefer here. Your sister and partner uh, manager, correct? Is that your title at Las Larson? Um, So thank you both for joining us. How are you both today? Great. great. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. Awesome. Um, So we like to start out if both of you just want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your background. Where are you from originally? What brought you here? Yeah. um, So Bree and I um, grew up in Washington Springs together. Um, So suburbs of Chicago, but... Um, I now live in the Bowmanville neighborhood of Chicago, um, so real close by. Um, but my background a little bit is I have been a pastry chef for about 10 years now um, and got started in the restaurant industry. Um, so kind of made a transition to opening my own shop, and that's the bakery. Yep. Um, I live in the North Center <clears throat> neighborhood. Um, I initially got my start in the service industry um, when I was at college at University of Illinois. Uh, Bobby kind of wrote me into food running at uh, Grace Restaurant. Um, I ended up really liking it there, so I spent three and a half years there. Um, when I graduated, I worked there, uh, moving into service bartender position, where I initially got my start into coffee. Um, from there, I transitioned to daytime barista work, um, kind of always knowing that we would be together again to do this bakery. Well, Lost Larson opened in June. How did you choose Andersonville as the location for your bakery, and what have the last few months been like? Um, so, you know, I always wanted to actually open a shop in Andersonville. I remember when I was in my early 20s, would ride my bike up here and envisioned opening a chocolate shop in the neighborhood, um, just because I loved how all the independent businesses were here um, and just seemed like a great location. So when um, I had the plans to open the bakery, kind of looked at a lot of the north side neighborhoods um, and just ended up again, falling in love with this neighborhood and finding the perfect spot. So um, that kind of led us to, to opening here. And then also the concept of Lost Larson and our heritage um, just fits so well with the neighborhood. Yeah, totally. I've always um, loved Andersonville. Um, I worked in the West Loop and occasionally like tourists would ask me like if I could recommend a spot that they should choose to check out for the day. I always direct them to Andersonville. I just feel like it's the perfect little area to make a day of so cute up here. So Bobby just mentioned the name Lost Larson having to do with your heritage. So we're hoping you can explain that a little bit more. Where did the name Lost Larson come from? Um, so the name Lost Larson is a nod to our lost last name, um, which is Larson um, on both um, my grandmother and grandfather's side. Um, so we have Swedish and Danish heritage. Um, but my grandfather um, ended up stealing his boss's last name, uh, which was Schaefer. Um, no one really knows quite why he was a little <laughs> bit of a character. Um, so, you know, that, that name was, was lost to me. Um, and then our, we had another grandfather named Lars Larsson who was Swedish. Um, but when we came to this neighborhood, kind of started thinking about that. I knew that story, but didn't know much else behind that and thought it would be kind of fun to again, explore that and kind of bring that heritage back to the neighborhood as you know, they used to have so many bakeries here and do some more 
um, unusual baked goods that you don't see around the city. And how, you kind of already talked a little bit about this, but how important has it been for you to reconnect with those Danish and Scandinavian roots? And have you had a lot of customers come in and comment on that fact? Um, yeah, I mean, Brie could probably speak to that more as far as the customers coming in. But um, for me, it's been fun to kind of do some new things. Um, you know, a lot of baked goods that you see are typically French-derived. Um, so it's fun. We do cardamom buns. Um, we do a couple other things that are more Scandinavian influenced. Um, so for us, it's it's fun to look at these different things and offer something a little bit different. Yeah, it's kind of also with the name and the logo, um, kind of embracing that we have not had that Swedish um, like flair as we're growing up, like no traditions or heritage. Um, so it's kind of that embracing of that loss of identity um, and kind of exploring things. Um, when we went to... Um, Stockholm this past January that was like our first introduction into Swedish baked goods so um, yeah just kind of figuring it out as it goes and it's crazy to see he's so talented that he just is able to perfect it immediately so um, yeah it's lots of fun things coming out if you ever need some taste testers I'm pretty sure we <laughs> could find some for you <laughs> <laughs> well Bobby you were awarded a scholarship for young professionals in Spanish gastronomy and got to spend a year in Spain working for two of the world's greatest chefs what was that experience like, and what was the most important thing you learned? Um, so yeah, I was really fortunate to um, be able to go live abroad in Spain right after culinary school um, through this amazing scholarship program that brought young chefs um, from around the world over to Spain. And the idea was to kind of introduce them to Spanish culture, um, language, but also gastronomy being a huge part of of Spain at that time and um, really being at the forefront of the culinary scene with um, all their modern techniques and everything. So, um, you know, it was very impressionable for me, uh, kind of shaped who I've been as a chef um, and working for these chefs. I mean, they were at the top of their game, top restaurant in the world, um, three Michelin star. And, you know, it was intimidating as a young, a young cook, but um, kind of gave me a good foundation um, and kind of led me to really wanting to explore um, ingredients. They were very ingredient-driven chefs. Um, remember going, they would send us to, to the the Mediterranean Sea to get seawater to cook all the seafood in. So, um, you know, they were very particular about how they did things, and I think that kind of rubbed off on me. So I'm pretty particular about the ingredients I use, um, you know, especially with our mill, about milling our flour the way I want it. Um, but overall, it was a great experience, and I mean, got to learn to speak Spanish, um, see ingredients I had never seen before, and just really great for a, a young person to experience. You talked about milling the flour, um, but what was kind of the difference you noticed in the culinary practice in Spain as opposed to the United States? I mean, that was my first restaurant job, um, so I didn't have much experience in the U.S. Um, to kind of guide me from that point. Um, but I mean, the techniques they were using were, were something that you were just starting to see here in the U S. Um, you think about Alinea and what they were doing. Um, they were one of the few restaurants that, um, was kind of utilizing techniques from there and they, you know, the chef had gone over there and experienced that. So, um, you know, I felt like I was there at a time where I was starting to see those ingredients and, and techniques and brought them back here a little bit. So upon your return to Chicago, you worked for Grace, which has a rating of three Michelin stars as well. And what was that experience like? 
Yeah. So when I came back, I wanted to work with a chef who was, who was super talented and kind of ended up connecting with Curtis, um, first at the Peninsula Hotel at Avenues, um, where I started in pastry. And then when he left, um, myself and actually the whole kitchen that worked there, there was four of us went over to Grace, um, to kind of help open that. Um, and that experience, I mean, again, it was coming from Spain and being in a three Michelin star restaurant there kind of knew the, the expectations, um, and kind of obsessiveness with, with doing things. So, um, it wasn't too much of a a difference as far as the work environment. It's a lot of hours, um, very demanding, very detail oriented. Um, and then again, looking at ingredients, but ingredients that were more Midwest, uh, derived and creating dishes that really wowed people and creating a service experience that kind of made people just feel super comfortable and, and wowed by everything. Las Larson is an aesthetically beautiful space. What inspired the design? Um, you know, we walked into that space and it had been, a the goddess and grocer before. So we, we didn't want to change the layout too much because it actually worked pretty well for our needs as far as the coffee, um, coffee bar that was already there. Um, but I knew I wanted to put the mill as a, a centerpiece. Um, so, you know, right when you walk into the space, um, we end up moving the door to the center. So you're visually seeing the mill, um, encased in this, this glass box, almost like it's a, a jewelry piece or something, um, to kind of get people wondering what is that, what's going on here? Um, a little bit of that Willy Wonka aspect to it. Um, and then the rest of it, we wanted to do kind of a Scandinavian design, um, minimalist, clean, and, uh, so kind of more cosmetically refresh the space with, with that look. Yeah. Just like a pleasing place to spend time. Um, we want people to embrace the Fika culture and just kind of, you know, use the space as like a social atmosphere um, to catch up with old friends and have coffee and something sweet to eat. And you have a resident artist, correct? On the walls. Yeah. Um, my good friend from college, um, her name is Noelle Africh. Um, she's kind of just embraced um, herself as an artist. So this is the first time she's showing her work in a public space. So I'm really excited to kind of help, you know, push her forward and get her some exposure. It's beautiful and it's amazing when you look on your Instagram, how many people are photographing in Las Larson <laughs> and how often um, the artwork and the pastries themselves show up on Instagram. Mm-hmm. There also is a terrific outdoor space as well. So for folks that might not know to go behind, then... Yeah, we've got a, a, a full kind of hidden patio in back um, that Bree and I painted all the fencing and <laughs> kind of decorated it a little bit, but a great place to, to relax when it's nice out. And what about the logo? Who designed that for you? Um, the logo was designed by um, two guys out of Manhattan uh, called Sublet Studio. Um, you know, I had seen, when I lived in New York, um, seen some of their, their work at a different... Um, restaurant and really enjoyed it and connected with them. Um, and we were kind of brainstorming about ideas and initially started off as this, uh, Groucho, Groucho Marx, um, look with the mustache and the glasses and kind of this hidden identity. Um, and then kind of transformed into the mask and the beard and, um, you know, kind of who is this character? What is Lost Larson? What's, what's going on here, but also the identity behind, um, the baked goods that we do, you know, kind of this, 
this old way of doing things, making things by hand, stone milling, um, and kind of the, the older bearded guy. Maybe, you know, that's what he did. Maybe that was Larson in the Swedish countryside. Yeah, we recently saw um, someone wearing one of your shirts out mm-hmm. on the street, so that was really fun yeah. to see. It's striking. I mean, you really see it from quite a ways away. You're like, oh, there's a last Larson shirt. Mm-hmm. If there's anyone out there that's interested in making a real mask oh, uh, yeah. that corresponds with the logo, let me know. I'm interested. <laughs> so it seems like the role of chef and entrepreneur go increasingly hand in hand in today's world. So I know you already mentioned that you did imagine owning an own business and it has morphed a little bit since your chocolate dreams. Um, but what has been the most surprising element of opening the business thus far? Um, gee, uh, I mean, I feel like I put a lot of thought into to everything that went into it, um, kind of maybe a little too obsessively, but that goes hand in hand with my obsessiveness in the kitchen. Um, but I mean, surprising wise, I think, you know, as a new business owner, you're always worried, are, are people going to come, you know, are you going to be busy? Um, and for me, it's been surprising at how amazing the community has been in supporting us and, you know, the repeat customers we have. Um, it's great to see them come in two, three times a week, um, which is what we wanted in a neighborhood bakery, you know, to have people come often and support us. Um, whereas, you know, working in fine dining, you think about that people come maybe once a year for an occasion. Um, so I was used to, used to that and they spend a lot of money, but it's been great to just have people come, come often and, and support us. Bobby, can you tell us about the process of long fermentation and other special techniques you use at Lost Larson to produce pastries? What makes those processes distinct? So for our breads, we really wanted to do really flavorful bread. Um, you know, in the past few years, there's been a big thing about gluten and bread being bad for you. And, and so wanted to show people that it's not bad for you. Um, and one of the reasons that you know, bread's not so good for you anymore is because it's an industrial process. It goes through really quick fermentation. Um, I think Wonder Bread, they said, can be made from a dough and in a bag in less than three hours. Um, whereas for us, I mean, it takes 18 to 36 hours for us to make a loaf. Um, and that, you know, that fermentation, that helps digest the grain. Um, it makes it a little more easy for you to eat. Um, and it's not necessarily something new, you know, they used to make bread like that. They still do make bread like that in Europe. Um, but not a lot of people want to take the time to do that. So, um, you know, we may, we let our bread ferment for a long time to build a lot of flavor and help digest it. Um, it helps unlock the nutrients in the bran. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, a really flavorful bread and kind of traditional style. I just have a question along that lines too. Is there something in that process that allows the bread to have a longer lifespan too? Cause I've noticed it seems like your bread stays fresher longer than a normal baguette from a bakery or loaf from a bakery normally would. Yeah, we use, um, we use natural leavening for all of our bread. So, um, sourdough, if you think about it, um, we maintain a, a rye sourdough and a wheat sourdough. Um, and before the advent of uh, commercial yeast, that's how everyone, you know, made bread. They would, capture the yeast in the air and maintain a starter of sourdough. Um, so all of our breads get, um, either the rye or the wheat or a combination of the two, um, to one for flavor, but also that, that sourness in there helps retard staling and, and also molding, you know, if you sometimes see bread in a bag and you keep it on your counter for 
a week it starts to develop mold. Ours won't do that just because of the sourdough in there. And what has been the most um, challenging pastry to make at Las Larson, do you think? Challenging-wise, I mean, we do a lot of laminated doughs, um, which is something that's, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of um, dexterity in, in working with that. Um, you know, you have to get your temperature of your dough and your butter just right and create even layers. Um, so for me, I like that. I like those challenges where it's it's a little more technical. Um, and yeah, we, we do do a lot of laminated products, you know, croissants and and traditional ones like that. Um, but we just started the Tiburkis, which is a, a Danish laminated dough. Um, and if you think about Danish, um, you know, they're, they're laminated pastries, um, that are, you know, they were invented in Denmark, um, by Austrian bakers who had gone up there to supplement the, the workforce, but we wanted to do kind of a, a lot of laminated products because they're delicious, but also because they're, they're Scandinavian. And is there a customer favorite? Um, I feel like maybe cardamom buns, cardamom buns, and definitely the lingonberry almond cake. People love that thing. <laughs> um, Brie, I have a question for you. Sure. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you developed the coffee menu for last Larson? Yeah. So, um, like I was saying, I've been a barista at a couple coffee shops. Um, most recently was the stump town that opened up in the West loop, um, about eight or nine months ago now. Um, they're uh, based out of Portland, Oregon. Um, this is their first retail shop that they have in the Midwest. Um, and I really just respect them as a company where they source their beans from um, and all of their coffees are delicious. <laughs> um, so um, we have the uh, lavender latte, which is very popular. Um, nice and floral, not overly sweet. Um, people really like that one. And I think we're going to have some really cool stuff um, going for the fall uh, drink menu, um, including some hot chocolates. Um, Bobby has a love for chocolate, so we're going to probably do some single origin um, style with uh, whipped cream that he's going to make. Um, I think a, we talked about a caramel whipped cream, uh, maybe some apple cider as well. Um, we're going to start having um, yeah, so some seedling apple cider um, next week, I think. Great. So when this airs, that'll be out. Go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Bobby, can you tell us a little bit more about why you have this deep love of chocolate? When did it start? And yeah, I think that came from, uh, when I was in Spain, um, I was fortunate to start working at, um, Oriol Barraguer, the, the pastry shop, um, in the springtime. And what's traditional over there is to make, uh, monas, which are chocolate Easter eggs, um, that grandparents traditionally give to their grandchildren for, um, for Easter. So the first three months I was there was heavily involved in making these sculptures of, of, uh, chocolate with Easter eggs. Um, and you know, it wasn't just a, a chocolate Easter egg. They would make bears out of them. They would make, um, like 3d sculptures, but, um, basically got to work with chocolate every single day for eight hours. Um, and that kind of started that love for it. Um, and started doing bonbons there. We were making, thousands of bonbons a day. Um, so really enjoyed it. And just the fresh aspect of eating a, a chocolate. Um, you know, you look at chocolate on a, on a shelf. Um, I mean, candy, candy isn't necessarily really chocolate. It's candy. Um, <laughs> but even like box chocolates, um, the way they formulate them is to be shelf stable for six months a year. But when you have the experience of eating a chocolate made that week, um, it's just a completely different flavor and 
and texture to it. And I really love that and want to let people experience that. And also speaking of chocolate, you recently had Jean Kate, owner of Martha May Art Supplies and Beautiful Things in to do um, chocolate mold decorating for Arts Week. How, how does that work? Like, what was that process like? Was it cool to have another business owner in there collaborating with you? Yeah, that was, I mean, super fun. And that, that was one of the reasons I wanted to get into business to do collaborations and fun things with people in the neighborhood. Um, and especially Jean being an artist, it was kind of a natural fit as far as her coming. And I think she loves chocolate too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to get her involved and and show her the process um, a little bit. You know, it was kind of our first foray into it, um, just so we can kind of get the hang of it. But I think there's gonna be something in the future. Um, you know, I'd love to collaborate with a couple of the other business owners and we've talked about doing um, like a, a box of chocolates, six chocolates, um, and each one inspired by a business in Andersonville. Um, so that's, very cool. that's awesome. That would be such an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be out in time for the holidays. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a question for both of you. Um, if you could maybe mention what your top things are in Chicago that you like to eat, and do you have a favorite pastry? Hmm. Top places in terms of restaurants or? Anything really. Uh, top thing, well, yeah, I would say Chicago restaurants or eateries or quick bites or. Or things mm. you like to make at home that right, aren't yeah. like baked goods and tough. Well, <laughs> Bobby's uh, truly the baker in this uh, situation. <laughs> um, I would say maybe some coffee shops that I go to. Um, I really like to go to the Wormhole um, in Wicker Park. Um, also, shout out to Stumptown in the West Loop. Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't really do much baking or cooking myself. Um, I didn't inherit that gene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my favorite restaurant in the city is probably Lula Cafe. Um, I've probably eaten there over 50 times um, just from living in that neighborhood 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, usually on my day off, I'll, I'll pop over there for, for dinner. Um, you know, I, I like places that use local ingredients and seasonal ingredients, so they do a great job of that. Great. Um, well, now we like to ask you both uh, if you had the opportunity to switch places with any Andersonville business for a day, one or two or three. It depends on if you can't pick uh, which businesses would you choose? I would definitely choose Martha May. Shout out Jean. Um, she gets to do her artwork and, you know, be in the presence of all those beautiful things that she sells at her store. So um, I'm an artist myself, so I feel like that would be awesome to kind of combine, you know, work and play. Um, I would maybe choose Cowboys and Astronauts. Um, you know, I, I love, I love their shop. Um, but just to be able to kind of curate a collection of, of clothing and, and goods that, you know, people can, can go there and know that they're getting something of quality. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun to, to have that job. Well, thank you, Bobby and Bree, for being here. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Lost Larson, please visit lostlarson.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Thank you.
Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.